Were grammar schools a revolution? And was that revolution betrayed? To discuss this, I'm joined uh, by distinguished journalist Peter Hitchens, who's just written a book on the subject. Welcome, Peter. Pleasure. Um, now, can we set the scene broadly, post-war uh, grammar schools? What were they, and how long did they last? Well, grammar schools had existed for centuries in this country, and in fact had been, in some ways, the main sort of schooling. Eden College was originally a grammar school in its charter. The, the, the great divide between grammar schools and public schools came about in the 19th century when the, the public schools began to, to concentrate on boarding and therefore to become very strongly class-biased schools for the children mm. of the rich. Uh, grammar schools continued, uh, but they were fee-charging. And although they had numbers of scholarships, often quite generously, until the Second World War, Mm. Uh, the, the most common way of getting into a grammar school was to pay fees. Mm. Uh, after the Second World War, anybody who could pass the test could get into them. And this was, this was a revolution, mm. noted as such by Evelyn Waugh, who said it was a scheme for, 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 for giving free education to the deserving poor, which mm. is exactly what it was. He didn't mm. think that was a good idea. I do. Mm. But it, there is no question that it, it transformed things. And of course, that had a side effect which was the middle classes who previously been able to buy their children reasonably good secondary education mm. in the locality without having to board, uh, found they were in competition for the mm. places at these schools. Mm. There was another little quirk of this, which will almost certainly come up later in the conversation, so I'll explain it, called the direct grant schools. Mm. The direct grant schools were very, very uh, often extremely high-powered private schools, mm. uh, generally day schools only, such as Manchester Grammar School. Mm. Or, um, or Morden College School in Oxford, which agreed under, under a scheme to take very large numbers of state pupils, mm. uh, which the government would pay for, so that they, they effectively became semi-grammar schools. Mm. And they were part of the grammar school system, mm. and actually survived the grammar schools in some cases for, for a few years until they were abolished them separately. Right. But what we're, for the purpose of the book and what we're talking about really is, because um, there's a difference between what a school that's called a grammar school and mm. what you're already talking yeah. about, which is the post-war... Uh, selective secondaries that yes. were funded by the state. Yeah. Yes, I, the, again there are variations in, in, in Scotland for instance the age of, of which secondary education s starts was later uh, and they had a different form of selective secondary education but they still had it mm. uh, and Northern Ireland still retains it. Well the next question but one is what did they achieve but before I before you address that what were they like these schools? They were traditional uh, they were they, they taught subjects as people of my generation would understand them clear mm. subjects history mm. geography ma mathematics uh, physics chemistry biology uh, rigorously uh, to, to to meet the demands of fairly tough examination boards mm. uh, so that they would they, they would I think almost invariably have used the old Oxford and Cambridge examination boards for A levels mm. and A levels and so mm. they were they were following. A very traditional curriculum, a very traditional subjects uh, to quite high standards. A mo, a mass, a mat. Well, that, you know, that, yeah. that, 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 that as well. But it went beyond that. You would come out of a grammar school with a good, solid education in, in all mm. the major things you need to know about. And obviously, people would uh, would diverge at A level as they as, as they do now. Mm. Uh, but the it, it was constantly said. Uh, in the Britain in which I grew up, there's a set of English A-levels, this would have been about 1962-63, was equivalent to an American college degree. And you could get that yeah. at a grammar school. 
yeah. with no no fees at all, a school that was round the corner that you could get into if you were bright enough to get into it. So you, you, at 18, actually many went to university, but a lot would be the finished product. Not many went to university. Mm. It was still, mm. it, the university was very restricted until then, right up to the, the, the Robbins report. Mm. Very few people went to university, and even after that, it was nothing like the numbers. Now. The idea mm. that, mm. That, that university was the essential aim and end of education is completely new. Mm. Uh, people came out of grammar schools considering themselves educated and were considered educated mm. uh, and, and, became, uh, and became members of professions and, uh, and, and, and made an important contribution to society without needing to worry about the fact that they didn't have any letters after their name. Yeah, but so, I mean, before we get on to the sort of politics of what happened to them, um, the lead question to that is who did they benefit? And who did they disbenefit? Well, they didn't do enough of the benefit they could have done for a number of reasons. There weren't enough of them. Mm. Uh, they were in some parts of the country very thinly spread indeed. Mm. But in Wales, by contrast, they were very thickly spread, and mm. Wales was probably the best educated part of the United Kingdom at the time, possibly in competition with Scotland, but certainly mm. with very high standards because there were so many grammar schools. Mm. Whereas you might go to quite surprising counties such as Hampshire, or mm. Surrey, and find there were rather few. Uh, they were not, as is often said, particularly biased against girls, but there, were, there weren't enough places to start with. Mm. And they also had another problem, which is regardless of whether you could get into them, this remains true uh, to a lesser extent in almost any country and any system, mm. the, there was pressure on the children of from poor homes to go out to work, mm. and parents couldn't afford, in many cases, for mm. their children to go to grammar schools. To continue, yeah. And to continue, yeah. and th th that's not the fault of the grammar schools. The grammar schools never set out to be a social engineering project. It was never the idea. It wasn't the intention. No, but by hook or by crook, one of the other byproducts was that you ended up with a, a large class of people who would form the sort of educated elite. Yes, you did, and it was much more open to what would then have been called working class children than it is now. Mm, mm. Uh, it is actually the case, and because there was a, there was a big change around about um, 1956, but it's actually the case before that big change, mm. uh, that a, a survey was taken for a report called the Gurney-Dixon Report, 54 I think it was published, mm. which showed that at that time approximately 65% of children in grammar schools came from working class homes. Mm. Which is interesting, and that's, uh, that's, it's often said that middle class sharp elbows edge people out, but at the time that wasn't... Well, it became a problem. It, it was a problem, of course, in any area where grammar schools were in short supply, though mm. they were never anything like the short supply they're in now. Mm. Uh, half my time is spent in this argument, saying to people, say, oh, well, look at the, the existing remaining 164 grammar schools, whatever mm. it is. Mm. Uh, surely these schools are... <coughs> completely dominated by sharp elbow and middle class people, people mm. are, are trained to take the tests. And I say, yes, of course that's true. It's unquestionably true. And it's, it's, a, it's a result of there being so few grammar schools, and particularly of there being so few grammar schools in poor areas. Yeah. It was the Labour councils in poor areas who were most militant in abolishing grammar schools mm. as quickly as possible. And so it's inevitable that this, that this distortion exists, but it doesn't tell you anything mm. about a national system. Uh, so it, it, the argument is, is often distorted by people who are determined to misunderstand it. Mm. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, in terms of who they upset as well, I mean, you, 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 I think it was Eric Anderson, wasn't he, who said that if they'd continued, the public school system would have been under Absolutely. severe pressure. Yeah. But it wasn't just, I mean, I can see how that's the case, and, it, it might, and certainly if they'd been expanded properly with the post-war yeah. baby boom, that might have happened. But they also culturally slightly upset uh, privileged public school boys, didn't they? Because it, you hear stories, this is anecdote, but you hear stories of 
you know, what would be most upsetting to um, old Etonians or old Herovians at Oxbridge in the late 50s or mid 60s would be a very clever northern grammar school boy. Yep. That true? I think, I think no doubt at all about it. Mm. And I think you, you saw it. Uh, Anthony Sampson, in his very interesting series of books on the anatomy of Britain, mm. uh, repeatedly, I think about four editions of it, and each one is a different account of this. Mm. But he, he says by the end uh, that it's extraordinary how the grammar schools were storming mm. uh, all the privileged parts of the country, the civil service, the armed forces, uh, even, the, even the universities, that what was happening was that the, there was a completely new mm. kind of elite being formed. Mm. Which is one of the reasons I put um, my my good friend and colleague Kiba Roy uh, went through uh, a recent edition of Who's Who, which seemed right for the time, mm. just looking for the numbers of distinguished people in it who mm. who, had, who who appeared to have benefited from from grammar schools. It's enormous and it's quite striking. And that's in your book, isn't it? The, yes, I actually yeah. said it's, an, it's quite a few. Quite a few. Just scanning it, quite a few people. I thought well. There's loads of other people could be in there as well. I mean, it's not an exhaustive list, you know, but it's I, interesting. It's like a skimming stone across. Yeah, if, yeah. The, if the book, I'm sure it doesn't, it doesn't, it does, doesn't show them all, and you can't always tell from somebody's uh, entry mm. which sort of school they went to. Mm. But the, the thing is that if the book had been properly noticed or reviewed, mm. that little survey mm. uh, would, I think, have struck a lot of people as being quite fascinating, because it's often said, yeah. but I've never previously seen any attempt, and I admit it, it's a very sketchy and... Mm. and uh, and a basic attempt to demonstrate what is so often said about the grammar schools, that they, that they gave a ladder to the very top, mm. to people from very ordinary homes. They did, and, and certainly scanning that list, I looked for John Gray on the list who went to a, a grammar school in South Shields, which at the time was part of Durham County. And I want to talk to you about the politics yeah. well, of this. Well, Durham was, was very uh, keen well, before yeah. the Second World mm. War. Uh, Durham was was one of the very few uh, mm. local authorities which really made an effort to mm. to do in the 1930s mm. uh, what was done in 1944 by the National Act. And mm. it was, I think very successful too, and mm. they were also among those uh, elements in the Labour Party who were most doubtful about the plan to go comprehensive. Mm. And certainly by the mid 60s, that you produced data, don't you, in the book that they on academic achievement and excellence and so on, they were the best schools. Well, what you can show, it seems to me, is undoubtedly a huge deterioration in the standard of, of education after the destruction of the grammar school. That, you can show that by a simple comparison of the sort of examinations people were taking and passing. The, the need, for instance, to abolish the GCEO level entirely, and the accounts from universities and, yeah. and, other, and other sources of the, of the observably measurably lower standards uh, of A-level uh, of A-level students who arrive with, with often extraordinarily high grades but mm. whose performance is noticeably lower than it would have been some mm. years ago. I th that's the only way I know how to establish it but I think there is beyond that mm. once the once the comprehensives begin to dominate secondary schooling in this mm. country standards fall. But I was getting at more the sort of competition at the uh, elite level in inverted commas between pub good public schools and very good grammar schools and, and by the you, reading through it and certainly some of the accounts you make, some of the observations that educationists made, the grammar schools were outperforming these rather think, lax public yes, schools. You had the, 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 I, I told you this would come up. Some mm. of this does un undoubtedly result from the direct grant schools, mm. some of which were really, uh, and still are, though they're not mm. direct grant schools anymore. Quite superb schools, mm. uh, a hybrid. I, politicians these days constantly mm. go on 
about how private and public should cooperate. Mm. There should be more collaboration between them. This was the perfect collaboration between mm. the private sector and the public sector. Mm. Mm. And, they, and they destroyed it. Yeah. By a deliberate act, they actually destroyed it. Uh, but it worked extremely well. And those schools, such as Manchester Grammar School, mm. uh, which made a policy, mm. uh, particularly uh, Eric James, who was its high master mm. uh, during a lot of this period, made an absolute policy to ensure that it took as many children from, from manual working class homes as mm. possible and gave them an education at least as good as you would get. And that's the point, at, isn't at it? Eaton. Yeah, you've, you've nailed it there, really. That's why it was so socially revolutionary. And, I mean, possibly that's why some people objected to it. Um, probably some people didn't really understand that it was quite as revolutionary. Yeah, it was the wrong sort of revolution. Yeah, yeah. The utopians who wanted comprehensive education, uh, who tend to be sort of sunlit uplands types who think that you could transform society, uh, wanted a total transformation mm. of, of society, an, an utter egalitarian revolution in which everything was changed. Mm. The grammar school revolutionists wanted amelioration, which mm. would make significant lasting changes in the, in the lives of people within the existing system. And utopians and reformers are actually probably the most bitter enemies in politics. Yeah, no, I, I think I get that. But I, and I, but I think that the broad picture that I take from what happened was that um, public schools private schools were challenged in a way they haven't been before or since. Yes, they were, and, they, and they, they, they were enormously relieved, I'm sure, when the, yeah. when the grammar school started to close. Kept a lot of them in business. Yeah, I'm sure it did. So we've touched across um, some of the advantages, some of the achievements of, of grammar schools, and I guess that's, in a way, that's broadly the case for grammar schools. What's the case against them? I don't think there is one. Well, you, you I have just don't think there is one. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the the cases advanced against them are cases against. So, for instance, you could say the eleven plus mm. was not perhaps the fairest possible way of testing people. Mm. The age of eleven is not perhaps mm. the best year in which to transfer from primary to secondary school. Mm. I agree with both those propositions. Mm. Mm. Uh, but the, 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 so my response to this is not, oh well, then let's close all the grammar schools. It's mm. all right. Let's reform the examination system. Let's change, or at least make more variable, the age at which people transfer. Let me well, and, it, and, people, and, and there weren't enough grammar school places. All right then, build more grammar schools. Yeah, yeah. Not <coughs> close it. Well, I want it's, to, it's, the, it's the old, yeah, it's the old Evelyn, yeah. Evelyn War yeah. Randolph Churchill story. You know this. Uh, mm. News was brought to Evelyn War that Randolph Churchill had gone into hospital uh, for an operation to remove a non-malignant tumour. Mm. And even more said how extraordinarily typical of the medical profession to rummage through the entire body of Randolph Churchill and remove the only thing that wasn't malignant. Yes, and the, 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 the point here is that you look at the English education system in 1965, mm. and the bit of it which probably, though it's much, actually much slandered, the bit of it which is, is functioning least well is the, the, the secondary modern section. Which and most people went to. And the technical yeah. schools. I mean, they're not, they're, mm. they're be far better than they should have been. Yeah. It's a bit which probably could have done with more help than any other. Mm. So what do you do? You look at it, you look at the bit which works, mm. you look at it which doesn't work so well, and yes. you close down the schools that definitely work. Well, that's the actual lunacy. Yeah, and no, I, I largely agree with you, but let me try and make the case anyway. So I've, I've, I've put you a few, do, yeah. I've got a bullet points. So the case against grammar schools, and I'll just run them off and see where we go. Yeah. Uh, a disturbed childhood. The brutality of, of deracination and declassing, deliberately declassing people. Um, the point that everyone could not attend. Uh, this was quite an odd one, which you, you, I think in your chapter discussing this, you put down uh, that it produced stable, orthodox citizens, conservatives, 
Well, I was that was the benefit. Com- <laughs> that was, well, that was that was the complaint of the yes. group of left-wing sociologists yes. about. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a very interesting book in which yeah. they, they they almost <laughs> seem to regard class loyalty as a sort of patriotism which was being undermined. Mm. I think it's, it, it's almost certainly true that uh, that any uh, Woodrow Wilson, I think, when he was um, when he was in charge at, at Princeton, said his job was to make sure that any person who went to his university ended up. In, ended up in, in life disagreeing with his father. Mm. Uh, that this is one of the effects of good education is that it does perhaps weaken parental ties. But would you rather have an ill-educated country in which uh, parental ties and class ties and loyalties were strong, or would you rather have a well-educated country well, I, in, in which they were sometimes weakened? I don't think there's a choice. I, I underestimate the capacity of any education system to do that anyway, really. I think a lot of, mm. a lot of culture and political culture is transferred at the dinner table, but, and possibly even genetically. But I had a girlfriend who hated her grammar school because of the, partly because of the walk back home mm. uh, from it to her council house and in the in in the ground school uniform which they were obliged to wear in the streets mm. and, and it, she 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 really didn't like it and it was not there's no question this happened mm. but i've i think one of the things that i've concluded over long years of looking into the social problems of this country is you sometimes have to choose mm. as with policing you have mm. to choose between what sort of policing you want and what sort of society you want some there are evils which will result from both, uh, but there are also advantages which might result from some things which have which have disadvantages, which are worth having. It's always a question <coughs> of proportion and choice. Choice, yeah. I get and it. I think the choice has to say that if you want a free country, you have to have a country with at least an educated elite. Mm. Uh, if you want a country which will remain materially uh, materially well off and stable, then likewise you have to have those things. So mm. an awful lot of effort should be devoted by government at least to protecting good education. Mm. Now, what happened in the 1960s was that government made a systematic attack upon good education. Yeah, I think that's... Which I, I think, think was, which, which, which should have been resisted yeah, you, much more, yeah. much more fiercely. You make the point that actually there was no one, there was no um, vested interest group and there's no sort of political group no. significant enough to protect grammar schools. But on, I think on, Only there were elements in the Fabian Society and in, and in, yeah. in the, the Durham the County Durham Labour Party who yeah. stood up for it, uh, but the, it, it is actually in, in the end it's an argument within the left. Mm. Rich people will always ensure that their children get well educated. Mm. That's, I agree so, that's going to happen. But that's anyway. not going to be good for the rest of the country, it's not good enough and it's, it, it has, it, it's not much use to, to either the, the poor or even moderately well-off families. They've got to have a government which is on the side of education. But I think and they didn't have. I think what, I think reading through it, what the sort of central, all of the complaints centre on one thing, which is the principle of academic selection, which is accepted now. It's accepted readily at 16 and 18, and it's accepted. But there was was a problem, wasn't there, uh, from the opponents of grammar schools at selection at 11. And as you say, you, you don't have a problem with it. And actually, there should be routes going through 11, 13. Of course, there should be so many, on. many uh, side entrances and, 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 uh, and escape hatches in, mm. in any such system. Rigidity. The really rigid system is the one we have now, selection mm. by wealth. Mm. Unless your parents win the lottery, mm. uh, they'll be as poor or as wealthy on, uh, for, the, for all their lives as they were on National but Offer Day. And so you're, you're fixed by wealth uh, or, not, or not wealth. Yeah, but the, wherever you go. But there's a, there's a sense, the critics of the 11 plus say that there's a moment in your life, 
if you're not ready, if you're a late developer, I'm probably a late developer. Mm. If you're not ready, uh, that's it. Now, actually, I'm, I'm not sure it is. My father failed his 11 plus. He was evacuated into Anglesey from Liverpool yeah. uh, and came back having been educated in Welsh for three years and probably failed his 11 plus. Didn't hold him back in the end, in the long run. He made it up. And I think, it, I, I also slightly reject the idea that it's all or nothing. If, you, if you're trying to get into a sort of credentialised, if you want to be a, a lawyer or a doctor, possibly then... You know, if you miss the boat, it's going to be very difficult. When I found in the course of of researching the book that there existed this extraordinary work by Dick Stroud on the secondary Mm. models, I I already had known that secondary models had done a a lot better than people had thought, but the the work he's done on this and his own personal experience Mm. in which he he got a very respectable degree in the sciences from Mm. a good university seems to me to suggest that the that going to a secondary modern absolutely was not the, the, the sort of death sentence to education which people have claimed it was. And I, I, do, get, I do get really tired mm. of this constant claim that secondary moderns were all mm. sink schools that nobody learned anything to. Mm. His own experience, very well worth, Dick Stroud's book is, is, is well worth reading. His own experience at his own secondary modern school, he, he, he has very, very good memories of, well, the, of, the, of, the, of the teachers and he mm. was he was helped in every way he could be it, it sounds to me like the sort of school that a lot of people would be very glad to find in their neighborhood today and haven't got yeah you've got you I mean you make the broad point is that because most people from 45 to 65 and since till 70 really went to secondary moderns and it can't it's not obvious there's a gap in, in the education of this populace are, are the people who went to secondary moderns before say they came to pretty much an end in 1970 are they distinguished by being less well-educated than people mm. who have comprehensives? I think the answer to that is demonstrably no. No, yeah. What I was getting at, though, I was sort of trying to get you onto this, which is the question of sort of incommensurability. You know, you're, we're snobbish about academic. We're governed by people that have degrees, and, the, you know, the parliament over there is full of people well, that have degrees. Now. Well, yeah, we, and yes, it's interesting. It Not be. necessarily a better parliament, <laughs> but uh, an over-credentialised one. But, the, but you're, they're inclined to look... They're inclined to look at all education and training needs through a very biased lens. If you haven't got a degree, uh, you you haven't really made it. Um, And what I I think about that is that you're just not um, acknowledging the equal value of a different route for other people. We just totally neglect it. And it's a grave mistake. Universities are for a very small number of people. Mm. And they should be. This is, this is an inevitable truth. The idea, the Blair idea of 50% mm. universities is not socially useful. Well, not socially useful and also often quite bad for those who went. Mm. Much worse, I would think, than, than going from a working class home to a grammar school. Mm. No, I agree with you on that. I think that's true. I mean, you see it, this comes up not, not just in the routes that are taken, but also you see it on uh, A level day, you know, when, when people know where they're going to go to university. And, and you feel sorry for the the, the, you know, the kids, they, they, they have this hierarchical, totally hierarchical view of universities. Mm. You know, sort of Durham is better than Warwick, Warwick's better than Kent, and they see it as a sort of transitive thing that, you know, if you don't get a Kent, and I always say, I, we said to our children, look, if you, you might meet your future partner at Kent, whatever, mm. you know, so it, it just is, it's, it's the way we look at things. So to summarise, you say basically that the good that grammar schools did was abstract and distant, and the price... Uh, was immediate and personal, and, and that's that we're talking about the 11 plus there, really. Um, I just want to get into the main you mentioned the, the left 
Um, I want to ask you whether you think it's a... I know you don't think it's a left-right issue, but a lot of people think it, it is. I what, know they do, but that's... Why do they... I mean... It's because they don't understand it. I, it, it, I used to think it was a left-right issue. Mm. And this is the problem I suffer from. Uh, I, I do... I, I write for newspapers, mm. and I try when I do to get it right to research it properly, but I often find, and have found over the past 20 five odd years when I've been writing mm. opinion columns, that th three or four years after I've written a piece which I thought was definitive on the site, I, I, I have to write it again because it has had no mm. impact at all. And so mm. I feel I haven't got to... So what I started doing mm. was going off and writing books about it. Mm. Uh, the, the first one of those I really... Uh, the, the initial one, The Abolition of Britain, is, is more general, though it does contain... I know we, again, most, most of my parents don't even know what kind of book it is mm. and what it goes into. But mm. the book which I really exerted an enormous amount of effort on was my book about crime, punishment, jury trial, mm. uh, originally published as A Brief History of Crime. Mm. And during that, I understood that almost all of the assumptions, even of conservatives in mm. politics and in Fleet Street about crime and punishment, were deluded. They had absolutely no idea what was going on. I pressed that book into the hands well, <laughs> of politicians and police judges. I begged them to read it. The only person who I ever did this <coughs> to, who, um, who, um, who actually read it was the current Earl Attlee. Right, okay. He well, read it. The okay. only thing, he wrote me a letter and I came back. Well, but you, the others, I mean, they just ignored it. They it were not, and the reason it wasn't, they, they, they thought they were going to get a lot of polemic. That's mm. a bit of polemic in it. What they were mainly going to get yeah. were facts which demonstrated that everything everybody thinks about is wrong. The same goes for education. Yeah. People don't know. Yeah. I, ask, ask anybody in British politics or journalism, who invented the term comprehensive school? Mm. They won't know. No, no clue. Uh, or, or, or anything of that kind. They won't. They, they, they won't know what the origin of it is. They won't know what the uh, where it began. They won't know. Uh, they, they'll usually know that Margaret Thatcher. Uh, they will say created. I would say permitted more comprehensives than any any Labour minister. They'll know that. Mm. They won't be able, with any certainty, to tell. Tony Crossland from Richard Crossman, so they no, know which that's of the a perennial they problem. Know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they won't know what. Uh, the, if you ask them where the grammar schools were in their own town or city, they won't know. No, I'm not. Uh, you're or what they were called. They don't know you're, anything. You're, you're, uh, the I, moment you begin to I, know anything, know. They, that's the moment at which. No. Uh, and in, in this country now, on any subject of any importance. Uh, actual knowledge and understanding of subject is a positive disadvantage in debate because you are saying things which don't, it's as if everybody else is playing soccer mm. and you're playing rugby on the same field. It's, it's certainly the case. I, I sympathise with you because I, I spend a lot of time on economics. The SDP does spend a lot of time on that because you have to. I think that's the, that's the sort of uh, foundation. You have no and I, ha I, I haven't really met any uh, Tory or Labour Party politician that understands what's going on. We've got a, the main problem, and we're getting into a different subject now, but the main problem, we've got a, we've got a huge trade problem. We've got a massive trade deficit. And on the mathematics, this isn't economics, this yeah. is accounting. You end up getting poorer, uh, and uh, the, all of the chaos that we're going through now is an inevitable uh, product of that, and, yes, and it's frustrating. Just as, yeah, I, and you, I once rang up the port of Felixstowe, and I asked them, which is some years ago, for how many, uh, how many containers came into this country full, mm. and they're all of them, mm. and how many came out full, and it was a very much smaller proportion. Well, no. and the other went out empty, well, they yeah. went out full of rubbish to be recycled. Yeah, no. And this is a straightforward 
but it's pictorially powerful illustration it's of how we don't we, we, we're failing at trade. It's frustrating yeah. uh, because they don't they don't even doesn't occur to them. Anyway, but I want to let's draw you back here because we're talking about uh, the, the it's scrap. They, it's because they didn't go to grammar school. Anyway. <laughs> it's because they didn't go to because they were numerate and illiterate. Uh, the scrap um, that ended up uh, with the gra grammar schools losing and then their, their destruction. Um, you say it's not a left right issue and, and I've got on the four on the four side back in grammar schools Ellen Wilkinson Richard Tawney who is, used to be the SDP's effective uh, uh, political philosopher uh, Manny Shinwell and, and Fabians who uh, yeah. support meritocracy and want a well-trained national intelligentsia and the working class on the data in counties like my own Durham where I was born um, very popular even if you didn't go to school and then against you have middle-class social revolutionaries who see grammar schools as an obstacle to equality, but not their children. We'll go into that. And then the I'm, I'm getting to this point. Then you have an indifferent group. You have for and against, which was the left, parts yeah. of the left. And then you have an indifferent group, which is Tory MPs that have no direct experience of state schools at all and therefore have no skin in the game and don't really know what's going on. Yeah, they don't, they don't. Do you think that's a fair appraisal? No, completely. Mm. And it, 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 there was one other element which which became particularly important after the, the baby bulge came in in 1956. Mm. And the, the number of grammar school places simply didn't match the demand for them. And at that point, the middle classes began to become extremely worried. And this is the, up to that point, the the campaign inside the Labour Party for the abolition of grammar schools and for comprehensive education had been a campaign of the left. Mm. Backed very much by the Communist Party, and it mm. didn't really it didn't really chime very much with any public feeling. Mm. But what began increasingly to happen after '56 is that people who thought their children were going to get into grammar school were suddenly being told, "No, Couldn't. little no Johnny has not got a place." And it was wrong, and it was unjust, and it was stupid, and it was unnecessary. And they were rightly angry about it, and they saw the prospect of them having to pay fees, and they were persuaded by manifesto promises of grammar school education for all, mm. uh, that if comprehensives came in, then little Johnny would go to what was effectively a grammar school without having to take the exam. Yeah. And they believed it. But did, so a key question is that the people that said it and promised it, which was the Labour Party, did mm. they believe it? Do you think they were sincere? No, I don't think they believed it for a moment. Some did. Though, uh, well, Harold Wilson, Harold Wilson sent his children to private no, schools. No, no, I, 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 there's a lot of that He was one of the great promises on it. No, Gates, but I, Gates School also made the promise. Yeah, but Shockingly, he was far too intelligent to behave in such a way, but he did. But you're, but you're quite generous, generally, about people's um, uh, good faith sometimes. And he, so, I mean, I think Tony Crossan, didn't he, he believed he was for streaming, and he, didn't he think? He, was he, he misguided? He didn't understand. Was, yeah. I mean, I, I did, yeah. I, I, I went into this in, 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 in some length in another book, but Crossan did not understand uh, what, what, what would happen? Comprehensive schools would mean. Mm. He said. He said, for instance, that they would not need mixed ability classes, mm. uh, and there wouldn't be any what he describes Deweyism, which is the general attitude of, of, of egalitarian education in the United States. Mm. Actually, the, the, what people need to understand is that British comprehensive schools were modelled ultimately on American high schools. Mm. That's what Graham Savage, who invented them, wanted us to have, mm. and he said at the time. Uh, they will be more democratic, by which obviously you meant more egalitarian, but mm. the, the standards will suffer. Mm. I'm trawling, I'm dredging here to find if you think there are any Labour politicians that were, were genuinely thought it would work. I mean, I think probably some of them did. Williams think it would work? 
Was she deluded as well? I mean, she, I don't think she, she was, had a clue. Was she I mean, she was her, clueless. Look at her just own clueless. education. She, she, yeah. she had a tremendously privileged education. And look at the story of her own daughter, mm. who attended a direct grant school, uh, but then couldn't do that anymore politically because, because her mother was busily involved in abolishing them and, and, and went to, um, to uh, Camden Girls, a, mm. a, 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 one of the uh, supposedly comprehensive schools greatly favoured by um, well-off left-wing people mm. living in London, mm. uh, of which I'll say no more. But it, it, it's, it, it, I, I think if, she had, if, if Shirley Williams had sent her daughter immediately uh, without any further messing around, not to uh, Goodolphin and Latimer, but uh, to a neighbourhood comprehensive in, in London, then one would think that she probably did believe in, in ordinary comprehensive education. But that generally was in the 70s, though. Generally, they, they don't. Well, they, I, well I, the argument was lost and made, wasn't it, in the 50s and 60s? But she'd been part of it. Mm. She'd been, uh, she, she, she'd been uh, as far as I recall, Tony Crossan's schools minister mm. during all this. She knew all about mm. it. Mm. And I liked Shirley. I think she was a very, mm. very delightful mm. person. Mm. But I think on this, she just falls down. Mm. Well, you, as you say, what rankles she, is one thing on, on the hypocrisy, and we may as well just spend a couple of minutes on that. Uh, because this is a hurdle they constantly fall uh, at, uh, and we can discuss what the root of that is. But it's one thing to to sort of exercise a choice, but it's quite another to exercise the choice and to enact policies which actively stop others. Yes, don't get me wrong here. I, I think Shirley Williams was absolutely right to ensure that her daughter got the best education she could get for her, under mm. whatever circumstances. Mm. I much prefer that to Jeremy Corbyn's attitude, mm. where he... he he, he actually had tremendous family rows because he he believed that his children should be made to go to comprehensive schools, mm. knowing that it was worse. Well, he must have known. Surely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, 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 there is a tremendous shortage of research because in the crucial years when the two systems could still just about have been mm. compared, as far as I know, no research was was done independently, and and it, it certainly seems as if the education department at the time was not keen on having it done. So this, that's one of the reasons why you have to catch it in things like falling exam standards. But I, haven't quite, I haven't quite sort of got to the root of what I'm after here. But what, I'm, what I'm after is whether you, you think, I mean, the, is it that there are a lot of people that want a different type of society you, to you and they get it in that they wreck the elitist system and they deliberately want that from the outset and they do it? Or is it that they are a little bit naive and a little bit, uh, you know, their views, like a lot of progressives, their views have a low correspondence with reality, and they get mugged by reality later. What is it? Well, I don't, think, I don't think there's any excuse for a serious person in 1950s and 1960s Britain to be unaware of the arguments in favour of retaining ground schools being advanced by people such as Eric James. Uh, he made them very publicly. It was well known that he was, he was making the case. It was not, it was not difficult to, to study or find what he was saying, and he warned that things would happen which mm. did happen. Mm. So anybody responsible had to, had to find some way of saying either this man is right and I should change my opinions mm. or to rebut and refute what he said, which they didn't do. So either way, they should have known. So I, really think, I, think, I think if you, were in, if, if you were in a position, goodness sake, imagine sitting at the desk of the Secretary of State of Education mm. with all that power. Mm. It shouldn't, don't, doesn't, the, the moment you obtain that power, doesn't an enormous responsibility descend upon your shoulders to know what you're doing? Oh, uh, you'd think so, but the way we've been governed... So well, exactly, often, but, yes, I mean, that, but that's it. Yeah. Again and again, the people yeah. who govern yeah. us 
They sit at these desks, yeah. they're in, in offices the size of tennis courts, surrounded by flunkies doing what they tell them to do, and they don't know mm. what it is that they are doing. No, I'm totally, I'm totally in agreement. It's not. This. This I is, think this, this is another partly, part of it. It's, not, I, it's true that nobody yeah. knew how bad it would be. Mm. Graham Savage didn't know how bad it would be. There was a, there was a, uh, a, 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 an afterglow of, mm. of grammar schools in many, but not all, of the schools that went over to comprehensive. Uh, You'd always get that because the te same teachers. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. very quickly emerged that, that it, it couldn't be sustained without academic selection and without also the, the other thing which academic selection does for you is it enables you to have quite small secondary schools mm. with mm. six forms and the size of the comprehensives mm. uh, was enormous. And the, 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 but even it, the Guardian by the, I think the early 70s was running critical pieces on London Comprehensive, so mm. that chaos was obviously taking place in many of them, and it was becoming clear very quickly. Well, I, don't think it was, it, I don't think it was that hard to predict in general. It is, it is curious. I mean, the, 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 uh, before we get off this and get on to the consequences, um, reading your book, I sort of, I, it's partly uh, a political battle, partly contestation of what sort of society we want. But it's partly, as you mentioned, cock-up, isn't it? They just didn't... You, you had new towns and you had uh, look, quite a lot of house building. And then, of course, we don't have that now. But uh, it no. was just easier to build one school than... Oh, one and, and, and a, lot of Tory, a lot of Tory councils did. They just... They, they just just build one school. So, build, build one. so the, 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 the Comprehensive Revolution was well underway before mm. Anthony Cross and the Circular of 1965, mm. which was, by the way, originally Michael Stewart's. I was just when whose name is not associated with it. No, you, it should be. you talk about yeah. You, you sort of make the distinction between uh, utopian dreams and the actual. You know, actual uh, grammar mm. schools or actual houses, which always uh, sort of reminded me of Oakeshott's uh, "To be a conservative is to prefer the actual to the possible." I think that's true. So let's finally get onto the consequences of what's happened, where we find mm. us, where we find ourselves. Um, I've made a slight list. What would you, I mean, you've, we've touched on some fall in academic standards and massive qualification debasement. Yes, that, that has been a, a consequence. There's been a national loss, yeah. which from an old-fashioned Fabian point of view is, of course, a catastrophe. Disaster. Yeah. A simple business of running the country more efficiently than the stupid Tories. Mm. Uh, on that issue, Labour failed spectacularly. Devaluation, the, 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 but the replies was... But our children now, they all have qualifications. But their qualifications are Zimbabwe dollars. They are, yeah. They, they don't mean anything. And they, and it's, it's, so that's one consequence. The other consequence is an unnumbered multitude of men and women who, had the grammar schools been retained, strengthened and expanded, uh, would have fulfilled their potential in life. Mm. Never have. That's wasted talent uh, over uh, and That's just... Too awful to contemplate, really, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, I mentioned. Just so John, miserable. I, Stupid waste. Yeah, I mentioned John Gray because he, he uh, working class lad from South Shields. Uh, would he have got to, would he have become professor of European thought at LSE? I doubt it. Mm. Possibly. It's, it's like Gray's allergy, isn't it? Some music, yeah. Glorious Milton. Yeah. Some Cromwell, guiltless of his countries, but here they all are. Yeah. What would have happened to them? Mm. It's a, it's a paradox. That you, what would have happened to the country, too? Yeah. How much better a country this would mm. be mm. if its major institutions were staffed by people who had, had the, the, this sort of rigorous, thorough, uh, traditional education, which mm. is now 
only available to, to, the, to the children of oligarchs and millionaires. Yeah. What would have happened? How much better the BBC, the newspapers, the schools themselves mm. uh, would have been? How much better the police would have been? How much better the judges' benches would have been? All these things. It's colossal. It's, uh, it's, it, it's a, it, to think about it is, yeah. is, is to bring us up. But the but the so the verge of tears. But crudely, but crudely, the uh, the objections to selection by ability at eleven um, have been replaced by selection by wealth, which is yeah. by house price uh, and by sharp elbows. Yeah. And, and the by, question and by a willingness to, how shall I say, profess slightly more religious enthusiasm than perhaps you privately feel. Yeah, well, that's on the data. That must too, be the case, it? unless they're lying in the census. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, but obviously, it's surely more unfair. Selection by wealth, it must be more unfair. Of course it is. How could it not be? Mm. And yet people defend it. It is, it, it, it is quite bizarre when you examine this, that you, you find people who, who consider themselves to be of the left, sometimes with a quite hard left. Mm. Uh, it's, it's vigorously and quite angrily sometimes defending a gross privilege of this kind, mm. which, which is I, one of the things, when, when they abolished the direct grants, is that the, Eric James said in the House of Lords, if I were the sort of Tory you now only see in cartoons with a top hat and, mm. and wicked moustaches who really wanted to grind the faces of the poor, what I would want to do would be to close the grammar schools. It's an odd that, time. That, it's a bit that, like it's a bit like you know after uh, after nine eleven invading it's, Iraq. What wrong country? You know? you, but you, 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 you then have the, the, the other part of it, which is this: the mystery. Mm. Uh, if there is a, this terrible uh, sin of selecting liability, mm. then why isn't it a terrible sin at sixteen? And why isn't it a terrible sin at eighteen? Mm. When we do it, and why isn't it a terrible sin in so many other, in the other aspects of life? The reason is quite simple: mm. uh, though it can't be stated. Mm. Uh, by the supporters of the uh, the arrangement, if you select children by ability at eleven or thirteen, you can alter their life chances. Mm. If you do it at sixteen or eighteen, you will merely confirm what is already the position, mm. and the, that is that is what happens. And those who wish to retain existing privileges and keep other people out of them uh, rejoice. I do. I, we, it's astonishing that people think that comprehensives aren't uh, governed by selection. I mean, it's this selection on house price. And I loved you. I'm going to read this out because you, you describe the, uh, the keenness of middle class, quite rightly in a way, quite rightly for middle class uh, parents to want the best for their kids. But you say, this is on contesting grammar school places. You say, uh, a tank full of sharks, sharks would have more mercy on the weak and unprepared than the English middle class fighting for a plea free uh, place at a grammar school. And of course, that's just now house prices in the leafy suburbs. That's, yeah. what it's, that's what's that's happening. That's what it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is a paradox. What, what at the end, you, you mentioned, I want to turn now to, to um, looking ahead. Uh, you're very, very uh, gloomy about the prospect of bringing back Well, as you know, I think, I think the country is finished. I don't yeah. think there is, any, there is any resource, any movement, any, uh, any group of people uh, within our um, within our population, who could form themselves into a movement capable of restoring uh, rigorous state education and academic selection, I don't think it exists. And I think it's. I, I used to think, for many years, as I argued this, I used to think this could be done. And uh, I used to turn to the example of the former German Democratic yeah. Republic, where mm. one of the first things that happened 
mm. uh, because it was comprehensive. The first thing that happened was that parents went to their new local authorities and said, please, can we have our grammar schools back? And they got mm. them. Mm. But of course, the, the population in this country have never, have never lived under communism uh, fully red in tooth and claw. Uh, they've lived under a Gramscian social revolution in which everything is done to to divert their attention from the changes that are going on around them. But they've never actually had to put up with a country so grim that it has to erect a fence around it to keep the population in. And so they don't really uh, know what is valuable and what is not. Mm. Whereas the people of East Germany, I think, are probably the, the hardest to fool uh, in Europe because they've seen it. I see that. They've been yeah. governed by utopians. They know what it's like. Well, yes. Now, I've made the point several times, actually, about in relation to... Uh, hyper-liberal, progressive culture generally in language, and also private truth and public truth. I've made the point quite a few times that uh, my Polish friends who lived through Jaroszelski's thing yeah. understand it perfectly. They understand the difference, the distinction between saying something. I, I described it as three species of truth, you know, the, the public truth, which is almost entirely false and it's in the media, uh, workplace truth, which is a little bit close of you to be careful, and fireside truth, or dinner dinner mm. table truth, yeah. which is true. And, you know, they... they understand that completely. I think one of the problems with trying to reinstate, whether they be called grammar schools or not, or trying to reinstate selective secondary schools in this country, is that um, on the supply side, a type of schoolmaster, a type of uh, headmaster, doesn't really exist now. Well, and indeed, headmasters um, is only part of the problem, one of the teachers. Mm. And you've now had people taught in the way that people have been taught for the past, what is it now? For goodness sake, it's nearly 60 years. Mm. Uh, where are you going to find people who are able, and, and also the, the ideology of the country, uh, which is in, in, in so many ways lays traps for the person who's conservative and traditional in behavior and thought and manners. Mm. Uh, how is that going to allow people to get through uh, education and training who are equipped to do it. I, I, I don't wish to despair. Mm. Uh, I don't despair in eternity because that's the most important place not to do it. But in, in temporal terms, I have come to the conclusion that there is no hope. I know that doesn't fit your view of the world because no. your entire life revolves around the belief that there must be some. And yeah. I don't, I, I'd be delighted if you prove me wrong. I think you could start uh, secondary selective education in this country in the big cities first. I don't think you could. If you take Newcastle, which is a city I know, you've got six comps and you've got one very, very good private school, the RGS Newcastle, yeah, yeah. which provides about 2% of the uh, school's doctors. And my point is that they get a free run and shouldn't you have one of those six uh, being uh, selective? I think you could do it. What you couldn't do, because partly because we have a budget deficit of 80 billion, which is a, a fair reason, you couldn't do it comprehensively. So it would be patchy, but you could possibly do it in the big cities at the start. The main challenge would be how you stop uh, very sharp elbowed middle class people in the big cities uh, herding into it uh, uh, and sort of making it self-defeating. In other words, how do you stop it being uh, um, private education? Well, you, started, expense? you would start obviously in the areas where poor people live. Yeah. So I think it could be you, done. You, but you, you could, do you it could build catchment boundaries around that and it would be interesting to see what happened but I, I think it would be particularly extremely difficult. Difficult, but not impossible. Well, I don't know. Difficult is often very similar to impossible, isn't it? Mm. Well, we'll see. Final question. Um, what, is there anything in your own experiences, uh, you know, through schooling and education? What, what, what have you taken out from your own experiences uh, that go into your position on this? You know, my education, my personal education is a mess. Um, I, I, 
I actually left school at 15, uh, and, I, and I don't, which, I, I, I have the remnants. But that can be a lesson as I well. I have the remnants, well, no, it is. I, I, in, in, in some ways, I benefited hugely from what then happened, but I have the remnants of a very good uh, preparatory school education between the ages of 7 and 13, I then had two years of pretty good O-level teaching at the school which I left. And after that, um, it's really been a sort of half-century remedial course at the University of Fleet Street. Mm. Still in progress. Learning. But I'm not very well educated. Uh, and I, don't, I didn't attend a grammar school, mm. then my wife did. Mm. And her grammar school was destroyed by politics. It mm. couldn't mm. remain open. Mm. The foundation didn't allow it either to charge fees to become a comprehensive, so it just was wiped off the map. Uh, something which still infuriates her to this day. Uh, so that has driven me to some extent, because it's not something I knew about. Mm. I suspect that um, any grammar school of the day would probably have chucked me out anyway. Mm. I don't, I'm not, this isn't a personal plea. It's a, it genuinely is a, a, a plea, an unselfish plea for national policy. But also it's an attempt to provide a simple, straightforward history of a tragedy. Mm. People, no, tragedies are important. You have to see that quite often the good people lose. And this is how they lose. And in, this, in, in detail, this is how they lost. And people should know because at some point or other, they may find themselves in an equivalent struggle in the future. Mm. And if they see how people lost in 65, they might be able not to lose in the future. Well, I was born in 65 and I read the book and I learnt a lot from it. So thank you very much. Well, I'm Peter. very glad that you did. And I'm, it's, it's the best thing any author can possibly hear. Thank you.